You're listening to the Sporting Heroes podcast. My name's Matt Jones and my guest in the studio for this episode is somebody who really made his name at Tranmere before going on to play for the likes of Wigan at Newcastle, where he seemed to always score against Sunderland, Port Vale, uh, Fleetwood. He even had a spell out in India as well. But it's someone who... I would have to say his career was somewhat curtailed by injuries and he probably would have won international honours if it hadn't been uh, for the problems that he faced during his career. It's a warm welcome to the studio to Ryan Taylor. Good afternoon. Uh, Great to have you in and uh, well, what a career you've had, hopefully continue to have as well, but you must look back on it fondly. I do. I I mean, I do feel like I've been robbed of a few years with injury, you know, that's no getting away from that, but... The career I've had, playing-wise, um, obviously over the moon. A, a boy's dream, really, to play in the Premier League. Love to have gone on to fulfil what I, I sort of knew I, I was, or the line I was heading on and the path I was heading on. Um, but then injuries just took over a year out, a season out, two seasons out at one point. So, you know, I was always hampered by big injuries, never two weeks out, muscle injury, come back get you know and and they just sort of hindered a career that was on the path of if you like I was on the same road as uh, Leighton Baines if you like we you know the two of us grew up together met back together at Wigan he went off to Everton I went to Newcastle so we were sort of on that same path and then you know I I unfortunately get a lot of injuries and 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 sort of that that's that with you know hoping to play international one day We'll get on to uh, the injuries in a, in a bit more depth in a moment because it is obviously such a integral part of your career, sadly. But let's start with uh, coming through the youth ranks at Tranmere. Uh, you played under Ray Mathias, under Brian Little, and with some incredibly talented players in probably their best team of the last 15 or so years. Yeah, going back now, I remember it very well. It was a great time for me because my my YTS there, was it was tough because... You know, I was I was one of those ones because I was an August birthday. I was you know nearly a year behind everyone else who was sort of in the youth team. So you can imagine a year's difference when you're a kid is it's a lot really. So going back then, I was I was nearly not getting the YTS. Just maybe for sheer size, um, I got the YTS, and then it was tough because we had some great players in our youth team. We done well in youth, FA Youth Cups. Um, so, but I was always a, I was always very fit. Um, and then that's sort of where it came along the line of I'd never played right wing back before, but making the first team debut up at Hartlepool as a right wing back was a little bit fun to me, but I didn't mind playing as a winger or as a fullback. So it was one of them. I'm I'm only about 18 years old and I'm full of energy, full of beans, and yeah, give me the shirt and I'm ready to go. So I look back now and and it it, it was a great learning care for me. Uh, because, you know, I was playing with some some older pros. And and some great players back back then, uh, and under some good managers as well. So, you know, I owe a lot to Tramia Rovers. Who would have been in that youth team? Uh, so you came through to the first team in two thousand and two three, didn't you? So who would have yeah, been in your youth team? My above me was Sean Thornton, um, but we had, we we also had some lads who sort of never really progressed. So obviously, Danny Harrison was there, um, but then there was some really good, you know. Hard players, if you like, um, you know, scousers, of course. <laughs> um, who you thought, oh, you're a good player. You've got to do something to get you out this team. Um, and then in my youth team um, was was Paul Linwood, uh, Jamie Maguire, myself, and Neil Ashton was there. Then Chrissy Dagnall started coming through. Uh, so 
we we did have a lot of team players, and obviously Tommy rely on youth. So we did have a lot of players who have gone on. Uh, there's probably more to mention, but who have gone on then to make a career. But I mean, I never really got to play with Humia as a youth teamer because he was a bit too uh, bit bit too big for us. <laughs> he, he sort of just slipped it and went straight to the first team. So. But you know, obviously, then you, when you jump up, you you sort of like best mates then, and and then you, you get tells you the ropes, and then you, and then you go from there. You mentioned some of those players, and it shows uh, just how good a ground, and it must have been for for any youth player at Tranmere, because I know not all of them went on to have particularly successful careers at Tranmere. But Neil Ashton, someone who who was around the lower leagues for years, Paul Linwood, exactly the same. It, it must have been a great ground, and it shows how much football's changed nowadays, because that kind of load of players coming through in one go just doesn't happen at Tranmere anymore sadly yeah unfortunately yeah it, it, it's weird but we were always known to have a great youth system at Tranmere and that's what the club fed on they fed on players coming up you know you look at Kumas Humi myself we all, we obviously all played and then moved on uh, and that's just what Tranmere sort of done uh, Joe Murphy another one but we, that's what we did we and then, like you say, it seems to have died off a little bit now. Um, no one ever used to like to play against us. I mean, we used to play teams around the northwest a lot because that was sort of where you were based. But anyone that was like, oh, we've got Tramie this week, they were like, oh, don't fancy that. You know, because <laughs> you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a, a team of hard-working kids, basically. Who, listen, not everyone was a fantastic player, but everyone would, you know, they'd stick together and and they'd make it hard for any team we, we played. I mean, we went when we went to Aston Villa in the FA Youth Cup, no one gave us a chance, but we lost by sort of two mistakes in extra time to, to go out. Um, and that was then to go on to the semi-final. And I think that year, I think Everton won it. Um, but, you know, we we even had another good cup run be, the year the year before that. But, you know, look, looking back now, you know, the, you, you think Tramia would still be in the same mould, if you like, but the way it's gone it's just you know it's quite sad really you make a name for yourself as a dead ball specialist at Tranmere penalties at free kicks and you help them get to the playoffs in 2004-05 and sadly just miss out on penalties to Hartlepool yeah um, thanks for reminding me I was the first one to step up but it's one of the only times I've ever ran up to a penalty and being quite nervous I was the penalty taker for the season um, and then you know I scored a free kick and then Beresford scores late on and then we, we, we go to pens and I'm like, I'm quite confident, but I, I remember putting the ball down thinking, oh my God, like this, is, this isn't just a, a normal penalty, this one, this is, a, this is a pressure penalty, this. And even at that young age, you know, they say, oh, you play with fear, without fear and stuff like that. But, you know, the first penalty taker, I probably would have rather been the last, knowing what was riding on it. But, you know, I never really just tried to place a penalty down the middle. Just something must have just obviously took its toll that day and I thought, like, just put your foot through it. Don't try and dolly one in the corner because I remember the keeper was quite big, the Hartlepool keeper. Um, so I was like, right, just just hit it as hard as you can. And, and you know, it, it came off his knee. But, but yeah, it's sad really because that was, if you like, my last my last game. Um, you know, obviously I went on to, to achieve, um, you know, in the Premier League and stuff like that but it was quite sad the way it ended on, on that note um, but you know I, I look back now and I, I never left on bad terms or nothing like that I just left because 
I was an investment for Tramier Rovers. Mm. Did you expect to, to that to be your last game? And once you know that you'd lost the game, did you expect it to be your last one for Tramier? Not not knowingly, no. Um, I knew I had a good season and I knew there was a few people sniffing. But when you've never had a club change before or you've never moved or you've never been part of a transfer, you you don't really know how it works. And especially being at 20 years old, you you know, you, you're just focusing on... I came back for pre-season and I remember coming back and the older pros were... You know, they were obviously making a bit of fun, saying, oh, are you still here and, and everything. But I just sort of took it with a pinch of salt and was like, well, yeah, I'm here, I'm I'm back. But then, you know, in that pre-season, I was only there for another another week or two before before uh, Paul Jewell came in and, and took me. Yeah, so you go to Wigan, their first season in the Premier League. Um, what was that like? It, yeah, it was good. I mean, I, obviously, from going, playing every week, week in, week out, and then thinking... Oh, you know, I'll go and play week in, week out here. It's completely different. I mean, even though Paul Jewell liked me as a player, as a person, um, I never obviously start. I didn't start the first Premier League game, and I was like, I was a little bit disappointed. But you know, I'm still only 20 years old, um, and and we've got Chelsea, and I'm like, this is a bit different. This this is um, this is you know, and there was so much hype around the club at, at the same time because they'd just been promoted and first ever Premier League game and. And the champions are coming, and and I, and you know I just sort of took a back seat on on the bench, and I was like, this is um, this is it now. You know, you have to step up a little bit now. You have to up your game. These are the these are the international players you're, you're dealing with, here. and if you want to take people out of the team, they they've earned the right, if you like, to get up to the Premier League. So you know that's why Paul Jewell stuck with certain players and played them, and and yeah, just when you get your chance, try and take it. But you know, it it was. It was one of them first seasons, you know, I'm still 20, 21 and I'm not playing every week, but I'm playing a huge part in in, in, in my first season as a Premier League player. And and when, you, when you're that young, just to actually know that you can play at that level is quite satisfying and, and then you're only going to get better. And, and then when you play, obviously, with better players, you're going to improve as a player too. I know we're fast-forwarding quite quickly here, but uh, there is so much to say of your career. So you stay at Wigan for about three and a half years uh, before moving on to Newcastle. And what a move uh, that is. What a club to play for. And, and a club on a completely different level to, to anything you played with, for before. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think I'd only ever played at Newcastle as well once in the time, in them three and a half years at, at Wigan. And that was only just due to broken legs, basically. Um, played against them a lot at home. Scored every single time I played against them. And then the one time I played at St. James's, I was like, that's a big stand. <laughs> that's another big stand over there. And then, you know, four minutes in, I've scored again. I'm like, oh my God, I must just have something over this club. But yeah, the move comes and I'm, obviously I'm over the moon. I, I only had six months left at Wigan and uh, Steve Bruce was manager. He, he wanted me to stay and I was just like, well, I can't turn this down. Um, and, and, you know, I go to Newcastle and I go up there and I'm like, yeah, this is... This is where I want to be, and it all happened in a flash. Really, I was like, because it was January's like end of transfer window, and I was in a swap deal with Charles and Zogby, and I was like, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not going to go back to Wigan. I'm like, this is this is where I'd love to push on. Um, so the move came, and obviously, I'm I'm over the moon. And you play in many derby matches during your career for Tranmere against Wrexham, but famously for Newcastle, you always scored against Sunderland. Yeah. Uh, and that you know it was my first ever derby as well, um, the one I scored in, and and then to score the winner, you don't really know how much it means until later. 
I'd scored and I was like, you know what? Delighted. I've scored the winner in the derby. I could see behind the goal with the, the end of scoring as well. Um, the fans are going, I've never seen anything like it after a goal. And then even at the final whistle, you know, we're all there applauding them, throwing our shirts in. I wish I kept it now. <laughs> but um, I've got the boots actually, so that's that, that's a nice little bit of memorabilia. But yeah, that, so I, we're there and we're celebrating and and then it was only, you know, like going, as time goes on after, you start thinking, wow, that meant so much to people. Um, is that then, you know, you get a song and it's just, it, life changes up there when you, when you score the winning, especially at Sunderland as well. Um, you know, we beat Sunderland 5-1 at home, but sort of no one mentions it really because um, it's at home. But when you beat them away and especially a free kick, you know, and then you know the rest is history, really. So who were your managers? You'd have had Pardew. Yeah, I, I I actually signed under Joe Kinnear, um, and then he and then I think it was my first game West Brom away. The night before he had a, 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 sort of like a minor heart attack in the hotel. So I never really ever seen Joe after that, and I only trained with him probably two three days max. Um, and then Chris Hutton takes over. Then Alan Shearer comes in tries to rescue us, but. If I'm being honest, they, there's a lot of players in the dressing room who, well, weren't bothered really. They were quite happy. They were contracts were running out, and you know, you had players who wanted to be there, players who didn't want to be there. So the club wasn't in a good position, and that's that's why we went down realistically. Because um, if you if you put it, the team on paper, the team on paper is full of quality players and players who've won Premier Leagues. But if people don't want to be there and you're only going out with six, seven men every week, then you've got no chance. Um, and then, so then it didn't work with Shearer, and then back to Hutton. Then Alan Pardew came in, and then after Alan Pardew, I was sort of finished with John Carver as caretaker. Uh, let's just get on to the injuries then, because uh, at Newcastle, they, they definitely hampered you. At Wigan, they, they hampered you as well. But at Newcastle, you were certainly robbed of probably two or three years of your, of your career. Yeah, comfortably, yeah. I remember playing in the Europa League away at, Atromitos it was I think they're Greek I think they were so we've gone away and I've scored an away goal free kick scored an away goal get them back at home delighted and you know even though I'm playing in a bit of a false position I'm playing left back and uh, we get them at home we've started well we're, we're going to beat them we're going to go through because we're at home and we're, we were a better team away from home but we just didn't score um, so we, you know Chances are we are going to beat them. Next minute, lad comes in, tackles me, jump over him to get the throw in. And as I jump and try and twist, I, my ACL goes. Um, so, you know, seven months out, eight months out. I think, right, I'm back now, you know. Um, I join in training. And then after three training sessions, three days, with no contact, no one can touch me. I'm just basically getting my bearings again, getting my feet on the floor. Um, I try and cross it. It comes off the defender, and as I go to get, get the ball, as it sort of ricochets back to me, it goes again. And I'm like, oh, this is just unbelievable. But, you know, I go over to America um, to the best guy over there, and, and he basically says, look, I have to take, you, take your ACL out, pack it with bone, and I'll see you in six months. So basically, I didn't have any ACL for six months. So this is six months down the, line, down, down the drain anyway. And then... After the operation, it's another 12 months. So all in all, it was 26 months in total um, from from the first one to the last one with just three days of training. So, you know, it was more mentally tough than physically tough because you think, well, 
this just never ending this mm. um, well what's it like when you're a footballer <clears throat> you thrive off going out on a Saturday or a Sunday and, and scoring goals or creating goals making big tackles but then you are suddenly told you're not going to play again for nine months what's that like mentally to deal with well, when you're when you're at a football club like Newcastle United, it's it's tough because you want to play. Um, my family used to come up to every home game, and and I used to love them coming up and watching. And then all of a sudden, you know, your family are not coming because they don't you're not playing. So then, then you're sat upstairs on your own, and it, it, it's so different. Life's just so different when when you know you're a football and and you just cannot play football. You you know, it's there's a difference between. So to the manager not picking you because you've still got a chance to, you know, go out next week and train harder and show them. But when you've got no chance of playing, then then it, it can become demoralising. And yeah, like I say, it's it's more mental than physical because you've just got to get your head round it. I mean, when I when I I re, uh, ruptured my ACL the second time, I I remember phoning my dad and just saying, Dad, I, I'm I'm thinking I'm finished. I think I can't go through what I've just gone through, and even, that was only seven months. And he was like, "No, you, you know, have a think about it. Let it settle and get the operation, and then you'll be back." And and you know, and obviously, it, that's how it all planned. But at the time, time just seems to never go quick when you when you when you're injured, and and then you're missing games. And you know, who's next week? Or Liverpool away? You're like, oh, these are the games. As a kid, you want to play, and as you dream of, you, you dream like if you're not going to play for Liverpool, you want to play at Liverpool. You know, sat. And stood on that cop so many times that you always dream of playing on the pitch, and then all of a sudden it's taken away from you. It's, you know, it it is heartbreaking, but there's just nothing you can do. I remember watching you come back, and I've just looked up who it was against. So you came on. Uh, I think it must have been the Man City game on TV um, yeah. in the League Cup, 29th of October. Yeah. And this is your comeback <clears throat> after two years out, basically. What was that like? Because even watching it, I think you could you could get the magnitude of the moment for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like I say, 26 months out. And then I'd only played uh, probably half a dozen behind closed doors, under 23 games to get back fit again. And uh, my role in the, in, the, in the team had changed. I'd now gone from sort of playing left back to a number four uh, under Alan Pardew, and, and that's where he seen me playing. So, and I loved it. I loved getting on the ball. I loved passing, long passing, short passing, what have you. Um, so you know, role in the team's changed. But then the, it was only on the day I knew I was playing. We we've gone for a meet, team meeting before the game, and um, team goes up on the board. You know, his flip chart. or as he flips the paper, you you look straight away to see I mean I looked straight away on the bench type of thing <laughs> to see you know am I on the bench so I, I'm like I'm not even on the bench and I'm like you know, look and there I am sat in the middle right in the middle number four spot and I was like he went you know what if you give me an hour he said go and enjoy it and I was like okay and as the game goes on you know we, we score and we our, our game plan that day was basically if they try and play out press them press them high before they turn on you. Uh, and the first goal comes from, they played it into, I think it was either Fernandino or Fernando. And I've pressed them, won the ball, and we, we scored straight away. And it, and then I remember looking over and he was made up because basically, I'm sure as a manager, if you work on something and that comes off, then you're absolutely delighted because it shows that you've done your homework and your players are listening and everything else. But, you know, then later on we scored again, 2-0. Uh, I think it was Musa Sissoko scores. And I'm thinking, wow, this is this is a dream come true. This, I mean, 
we're playing against these superstars of Man City, supposedly. And we're in their backyard and we're winning 2 0, and Newcastle ends going absolutely bananas. And you're thinking, what a game to come back in. And then about five minutes ago, I think I've changed roles because my legs are going on me. I'm getting out. I'm absolutely knackered. I think I've gone to right back. Um, and I was up against Milner. So I knew he weren't going to sort of run me down the line and, and everything else. But five minutes ago, Jekyll gets a chance. I block it on the line with me privates. And I'm, and I'm in bits. It goes out for a corner. And it was just one of those days and one of those nights where, you know, everything just fell into place. You know, a block on the line. We win 2-0. It's a comeback after two, just over two years. And and then, you know, I'm speaking in front of the cameras and and I was getting all emotional with, um, I think it was David Craig at the time who, who was reporting on the, on the pitch. And, and I've gone over to the fans. And honestly, if Dave fans were still there now I, and, and you'd let me, I'd still be there now. Because just watching them, I was just, I didn't want it to end. Um, so then I go back in the dressing room and... And literally, as I get back in the dressing room, they've they've stopped everything. Like I walk in because I'm the last one in. I was didn't want to get off the pitch. I'm the last one in, and they're all waiting for me. And they know I'm all I'm out there, and they know what I've gone through and everything else. So I think uh, Pardew had said, "Listen, as soon as he gets in, we're going to sing his song." You know, and then I get in the dressing room, and they were all banging on the <laughs> chairs, and they were all singing me song. And it was just one of them. And I went around every single person and hugged every single person. It was just, it was an emotional day. And then, and then a couple of weeks later, we played QPR and brought back down to earth. Mm. So that was uh, knee again, wasn't it? I think. Was yeah. It? I, do you know what it was? It was. Uh, I've gone to play a ball out wide, and then I remember it like, like it was just five minutes ago. Sandro's just he's he's only nudged me, but nudged me on my kicking leg. So it's it's then hit the floor in a bit of an awkward angle, and all it's done is just. It's just sprained me a little bit. Um, it was only a couple, like, two or three weeks, four weeks or something. But at the time, you're thinking, oh, my God, not again. Because we we were getting free kicks and stuff. Cause, well, I, I carried on for about another 10, 15 minutes because I think, I'm not going off. But I knew, I knew there was something wrong. And I'm like, and then we get a free kick on the edge of the box. And obviously then people in the stand don't know. I actually hit me knee again. So then they're expecting, that, you know, they want a goal. Everyone wants a goal. It's the thinking. This is the moment everyone's been waiting for. That my first free kick back at St James's, um, and then and I'm like, obviously I I'm like I want to take it, but I know it's gonna hurt as soon as I kick the ball. And I'm like, oh, right, forget about it. And then you know, it, I didn't feel comfortable over it. And then two or three minutes later. Um, and, and I just went down and I said, "Listen, I've hurt my knee again." And then I don't know what extent I've hurt it, but I know I've actually I've hurt the same knee I've obviously been out with a long time. Um, and then it was funny because the guys from Colorado who fixed my knee, they came over for one game. They were doing a little bit of a tour around England, going to different practices and stuff like that. But then they were actually in the stand. So then they came back to my house after the game and we, they were doing all the tests on my knee and hearing it from their mouth that it was actually really solid. That's all I wanted to hear. It was just the fact that I'd just sprained something in my knee. Let's get on to your sporting hero because we've had some fascinating stories uh, from your career. But in terms of a sporting hero, it must have been a footballer who you idolised when you were growing up. It was, yeah. I um, always was in the cop every game as a kid. 
But when you sort of can't remember that far back into the John Barnes, Steve McManamans, and obviously Robbie Fowler, I remember Fowler and Owen. But then as soon as Beckham came on the scene, I was like, wouldn't mind being like this guy. You know, his set plays were just different. He, he changed the world on free kicks, I think. He changed everything, his technique. Um, I loved the boots he used to wear, everything, everything about him. I mean... You know, he's not a bad-looking chap either. Uh, I loved everything about his lifestyle and everything. But then, so I wanted to be like him. Tried to emulate free kicks, passing, things like that on him. Is that where your dead ball stuff comes from then, do you think? Um, Obviously, you've got the ability yeah, anyway. But yeah, did you but, practice over and over? Oh, yeah. But bef- before Beckham came on, I mean, I used to take them anyway. But he changed the way... Even like maybe I just ran up to it a little bit different, you know, just trying to watch him and how much he he puts on the ball. I just used to love watching him score goals every week, putting balls on people's heads every week, like you're making it look easy. And that, anyone out there who plays football knows it's not it's not easy to take a free kick, especially under any pressure or anything like that. Um, but then, so I he was he was one of them. But then as soon as CVG came on on the scene, Gerard was like. He's the best passer. I want to be the best passer now. Like so, a mix of a Gerrard and a Beckham player was sort of where I thought I'd love to. They're the two players I was like, I could watch them every single week and just be like, wow, um, two different careers, but followed them very closely. Did you ever get the chance to play against Beckham? No, never. And that's sort of one thing that that's just missing. Really, um, is that he was one guy. I was like, I'd love to just meet him. And by the time I'd just gone to Wigan, he then moved to Real Madrid, I think. Um, so I was like, oh. Like, obviously, I've played against some great players and some some other people's heroes. But for me, I was like, I'd love to play against him because he was never going to run you down the line. But you just to play against someone of his quality and, and the character he was and everything else, I, I would have loved it, but... And I would have thrived on it, but, you know, I never. And, you know, I was quite gutted knowing that I could never really play against him unless he, he came back. And uh, maybe one day in some form of charity game I might do. But You'll have to go and play for Miami. I know. <laughs> I, yeah, it was, I'll have to see if you can join in training then. Um, but you must have played against Gerard. Yeah, played against him a lot, a lot yeah, over, over times at Wigan and Newcastle. And just used to, even, I'd admire him when you're playing against him on the same pitch. Because even though at say I was playing fullback, I'm not I'm not actually close to him. But you know, if you give him five yards of space in behind you, he's putting that ball on a sixpence for someone's someone's toe, and you're just like, you know, you're just in awe of him. Like especially me being a Liverpool fan, I was like, Steve Stevie's the man, and and everything he everything he done for Liverpool. It was even when I was in my late twenties, I was like, I love this guy. This guy is like. He's the general, like he's the boss. So between them two, were like the players who I, I was like, yeah, I look up to them. Obviously, people can go back in the past and bring up players, you know, Rush, Dagley, Shawless. But for me, when I was a kid, they were they were like the two I that stick out for me. 
Former Wigan, Newcastle and Tranmere defender Ryan Taylor, my guest on the Sporting Heroes podcast this week. Absolutely brilliant to hear uh, some of those stories. If you hit the subscribe button, you'll get a new podcast in your box each week. And if you go back, uh, you can listen to some of the fantastic episodes I've done over the last few months as well with the likes of Mark Lyson, boxing referee, uh, Jamie Carragher, former Liverpool defender and plenty more as well.